This is the Yesu Communitas Podcast, a show devoted to Hmong American identity, theology, and mission. Thanks for joining this episode. Be sure to like today's show and subscribe to Yesu Communitas on iTunes. And now your hosts, Daniel, Myla, and George. Welcome back to Yesu Communitas Podcast. Uh, thank you for tuning in with us as we uh, continue on this journey to figure out um, what it means to become f- or to come full circle as a Hmong American uh, church, Hmong American body of believers. And so um, today we have a great topic talking about uh, what it would look like for Hmong people to plant churches to reach non-Hmong people. All right. So, uh, again, uh, to introduce our uh, hosts and co-hosts, my name is George Zhang. We've got Uh, Daniel Yang. (laughs) 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 My luck. (laughs) Nice. Um, And and, uh, we're just very excited. That's shameful. (laughs) George Hyung. George George, what does your parents call you? They don't call you George. They do call you George. They do call me George. My Hmong name is Lee. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. They don't say, Minjo. They don't say that? <laughs> no. They they do say Mili. Oh, Mili. Ah, yeah. <laughs> you got to have one of those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, just to kick us off, uh, let's uh, do a little fun question here to, to do a little icebreaker. Uh, what do you think the world would be like if we had a Hmong or Southeast Asian president? It would smell horribly. <laughs> <laughs> the White House would have smells that it never curry, faced. Curry on the wall. Fish curry. sauce Fish in oil. the carpet. <laughs> oh. It would smell like, you know, you go to a, a, a Lao grocery store. <laughs> the dried shrimp. Yes. The White White House would have like tons of shoes in front of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> don't, don't wear your shoes into my house. <laughs> Can you imagine having a Hmong party at the White House? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Just random relatives on the couch all the time. I feel like you wouldn't be able to get away from it either. Like, you yeah. live in the White House, you have to bring family. <laughs> yeah. And when you bring family, the whole family comes. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Well, I mean, it's not it's not a super far-fetched idea. I mean, Donald Trump's in office, so <laughs> anything can happen. Um, I, You know, I think... Uh, we, it's encouraging. I'm not going to answer this question. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's funny they joke about it, but it's encouraging. Encouraging to see uh, Hmong people become state senators, yeah. uh, city councilmen, um, you know, district judges, very active in politics for the benefit of uh, society and not just for Hmong people. So, mm-hmm. um, so I, I like to think that the world would be a better place with a Hmong person in office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Oh. When I was younger and maybe somewhere in my subconscious today, uh, I wanted to be uh, the president and I wanted to be the first Asian president of the did, United did States. Did your mom tell you you were named after George Washington? Yeah. and oh. No, oh. no, not, not George Washington, but George Bush Sr. <laughs> so I was born in 91. Wait, were you really? Yeah, yeah. My, my, oh. my dad really uh, appreciated George Bush Sr.'s like demeanor, his character, huh. his abil- uh, ability to speak in front of people and large crowds. And so he was like, I want my son to have these same kind of characteristics and hmm. Oh, and named me George. Um, wow. And so, but yeah, I've, uh, you know, I personally have had the desire. Um, but, you know, seeing what politics does to a lot of people, 
you know, it'd be a very difficult realm to be in. Um, <laughs> but I think, yeah, it would be it would be encouraging um, to see, you know, whether it's one of these current senators or you know state leaders to to maybe step up into that arena someday uh, in the near future. I mean, I've only got ten years till I can probably run, so <laughs> might as well start. You know. <laughs> I mean, I think I, I'm just going to answer the question with a question. Like, what if the the next president was also women, like a lady yeah, mm-hmm. Asian, you know, double whammy? I think that yeah. would be cool because a lot of the senators and stuff are Hmong women. So mm-hmm. that would be really cool. I honestly thought when Hillary was running that it would have been awesome if Condoleezza Rice ran against her. <laughs> and I that would have been a really cool kind of like – Duel, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I would have totally voted for Condi. So <laughs> she's awesome, but I think she went back to teaching economics. So there you go. All right, well, let's jump into this topic again. We're talking about what it would look like for Hmong people to plant churches uh, to reach out to non-Hmong people, and so uh, to start us off, let's kind of uh, build a foundation here and uh, let's look at the biblical precedent of. Um, ethnic churches like what's the biblical understanding of ethnic churches and and how are they useful yeah well, i think when you think back to the uh disciples in pentecost uh, obviously at that time the church was you know 120 people all jewish mm. predominantly jewish probably all jewish and so I don't know if that's necessarily a biblical argument for ethnic churches, but obviously you start somewhere. And most churches, uh, when the gospel goes to a group of people, it starts somewhere. You know, it's kind of that starting somewhere point. And so I think for Hmong people, if we had to apply this to Hmong people, it makes a lot of sense that we still have ethnic churches because we're a very young church. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we've talked about this before. We've been Christians 68 years. You know, we go back to your great-grandfather. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we still have that that uh, that need for language specific churches um, because the 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 large uh, first gen population. And then you know let's let's move outside of North America. You go back to Laos and, and China, and uh, you can't have a, a multi ethnic church in the mountains somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all Hmong people, right? So mm-hmm. um, so sociologically it makes sense, uh, but biblically uh, I think there's also a lot of uh, we do see precedent. The church in Corinth, you know, the church in uh, in these different cities that were predominantly Greek or that particular kind of uh, people. So, you know, even the term ethnos kind of harkens to, you know, this idea of a group of people. So I, th- I do think that, you know, there is some precedent for that. Um, but that that's going to change, too, as culture is changing and as cultures kind of morph and, and become a hybrid. I think that mm-hmm. that changes and the Bible allows for that as well. Yeah, I think um, as we we look at uh, the world becoming more globalized, um, you know, the groups of people that we find in different, you know, countries, uh, different people groups, um, and and even with what you had brought up uh, in in our last conversation, um, that mission really is about bringing mm-hmm. the gospel to to a people group. Other mm-hmm. than yourself, mm-hmm. you know, we we really do see that as as mission continues to go on, as we continue to spread the gospel, it's it's going to go to different people mm-hmm. um, that don't look like us, and so um, I think there 
there is definitely a space um, for ethnic churches um, and, and that uh, they will continue to have their place uh, within the body. Um, and I hope that they don't ever die out um, because there are a lot of important things that come from ethnic churches. Um, but I do think that we're on a trajectory where the world is becoming more globalized. The mm -hmm. gospel is going um, to all parts of the earth now. And, and we really have to begin to understand what it looks like to, to serve and live amongst one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with that, um, let's also look at uh, the Hmong people um, and, and, Right now, the Hmong people and the Hmong church is predominantly mono-ethnic. Um, but what would it look like for them to, to plant new churches? Uh, what are they doing as we plant new churches for the Hmong church? Yeah, I mean, let me uh, share a little bit about uh, our story uh, because I do think um, it started out with that question. You know, what does it look like for Hmong churches to, to plant churches um, outside of the Hmong community? You know, when, when my wife and I uh, felt called to plant a church uh, back in 2008, and we began kind of investigating what that looked like, um, I, I don't think we knew exactly how it would happen and, and what it really meant kind of, you know, uh, for the for the broader Moan Church. I think we were just trying to answer that question for our church in Detroit. What would it look like for that particular church to reach outside to its community? And so that was a context in which we were asking that question. Mm. And... <clears throat> Again, um, I, I, we didn't leave the Hmong church. I felt like we were sent out as that missionary agent to really be um, not just evangelists to our own people, but to be missionaries to other people. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we left with a very missionary call. Uh, I didn't feel like my call was to become a pastor. I felt like my call was to become a missionary at that point. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, uh, when you ask the question, what does it mean for Hmong churches to begin planting churches for non-Hmong people? I think there's a couple of different ways that you can look at that. Uh, number one, uh, that means that you're intentionally sending Hmong people, training them up with the idea of uh, infiltrating a non-Hmong context mm. to see a church emerge from that. Okay, mm -hmm. And so... That's kind of your typical kind of, you know, missionary model way of doing things. And I think that's uh, something that, you know, we haven't seen a lot happen yet. You know, we haven't seen, um, you know, I, I would say I've heard of a few other people doing it. Um, I was the first one I knew of that was doing it, you know. Um, but since then, I've heard of others. There's a guy named B. Vang. Uh, was it you that, no, no, um, Tua, Pastor Tua told me about mm -hmm. this guy named B. Vang out in Appleton. He's planting, he, you know, he's Hmong, his wife is white, uh, but they're planting a multi-ethnic church. Um, and then uh, I think there's another guy in Minnesota that was doing something similar with the ECC. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so these are guys who are Hmong people that they felt called to plant a church among non-Hmong people. However, Hmong people did come alongside of them. And so I would say the second version of that is um, planting uh, a a Hmong-ish church uh, that has the... Uh, uh, so the first way of doing it was kind of the way we did it in Toronto, you know, mm -hmm. because, I mean, although we had Bruce and Dorchi who were very much a part of our team, we were not a Hmong church, okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was no question we were not a Hmong church, okay? <laughs> so, Myla, you were there with us during the early uh, months, so you knew that we were not a Hmong church. Um, so that was one way of doing it. The other way of doing it that I think is highly probable... 
uh, and probably the right next step for a lot of other Hmong people is to plant a Hmong-ish church um, that, mm-hmm. uh, as a community, is capable of doing evangelism and doing community uh, where other non-Hmong people can live inside of that, mm-hmm. you know, and then they can grow and they can have discipleship and a true community experience, you know, so that they don't feel like they're having to give up so much of their cultural preference. You know, the difference between that and coming to your mama's church is that in coming <laughs> to your mama's church, they have to learn Hmong or they have to eat yeah. Hmong and they, you know, the other version is that, you know, okay, yeah, the leaders are still Hmong and, you know, there's still a lot of Hmong people here, but they're they're bending over backwards in some ways to make other people feel comfortable, you mm-hmm. know. And, uh, and, and through that, they're integrating other people into their leadership, uh, you know, very much in the same way that we want to see, you know, we would, we would, you know, say to white churches, you should integrate other people mm-hmm. into leadership as well. And so I think that version right there, Hmong people starting these kinds of churches for other people is highly doable. Mm-hmm. and probably necessary, yeah. you know, and if we're not doing enough of that yet, we should be thinking, uh, we should be spending a lot of energy thinking about that because you and I both know, and I'm talking too much now, but mm-hmm. <laughs> we all know that, uh, regardless of whether, which model you pick, you know, uh, like none of my little siblings have married Hmong people yet. I should let you know that George, mm. <laughs> we have a rebel, <laughs> streak in our family. Don't let my parents hear our, this podcast. <laughs> our children don't like to marry mom people. Oh. And so the reality is that whether we like it by, you know, uh, just by relationships, that that's shifting, you know? Yeah. And so I don't think anybody can argue with that. Um, but, you know, the question is, there's a reactive way of doing it, and then there's a very proactive, intentional way of doing it. And I, I advocate for the second. So I think those are two possible mm-hmm. ways to begin thinking about planting churches outside of a strictly Hmong context to begin reaching other people. Right. Yeah, yeah. And you you had said something uh, to the effect of um, it's gonna it's gonna be necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so uh, you shared a lot about the the what and the how. Um, but why why is it going to be so important for Hmong churches to to begin planting? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it almost seems counterintuitive, but I think in order to survive, mm. uh, you have to do it. You know, it's like, well, well if you want to survive as a Hmong church, why would you plant non-Hmong churches? Well, um, because there's, I think there's some kind of principle where it, Jeremiah 29.7, as I was saying uh, in the last episode, mm-hmm. where God is talking to the Israelites. And when you seek the welfare and you pray for the welfare of the, the city, uh, that then in that you will prosper. And I think there's something about, um, you know, um, we can't fight the fact that in America, in Canada, you know, there's 200 people in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't fight the fact that you're going to you're gonna become Americanized and Westernized. Mm-hmm. And that to be Hmong is going to be less about certain customs or culture or, you know, even language. Um, that that drift is going to be a real one. You're seeing it in all other cultures, Asian, Latino, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at, you know, African-Americans, they're obviously very American. You know, you wouldn't argue for a second that African-Americans are more African than they are American. Right? Yeah. They're yeah. thoroughly American. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to happen to the Hmong people. And so, um, you know, uh, sociologically, you have to have, um, uh, you have to start churches that can accommodate that, you know. And so it mm-hmm. doesn't make sense for you to start just another Hmong speaking church, you know. Now, I don't think anybody is really advocating for that necessarily, you know, unless, you know, it's a in a very kind of immigrant community. 
But I think most people would say that, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, let's start with Hmong people first. But, you know, I mean, that was 40 years ago. We can't, mm-hmm. we can't talk that way anymore. Because the reality is that um, the way that uh, our, our generation is moving, we're rapidly Americanizing. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be Hmong is not going to be, to be Hmong is not going to be identified predominantly by the people that you hang out with or the foods that you eat. Yeah. To be Hmong is going to be how you integrate into a larger society. Mm-hmm. And I think that mm-hmm. we'll carry that into the way that we, uh, uh, you know, plant churches, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so this is kind of uh, Daniel's area of expertise. Uh, um, sorry, Myla. Um, <laughs> no, I'm fine. just going for it. Go, go. <laughs> uh, but Myla, I, I, maybe I can pick your brain for a little bit and maybe just explain to me kind of what your thoughts on, on church planting have been, what, what your perceptions of it have been within the yeah. Hmong church context. Um, I mean, I think something that kind of to go and answer that question is, I think there's something that happens as a Hmong person and planting a church where you start to take ownership of your identity, your city, your people, your faith, you know, Mm. and I think we're in this weird generation gap almost where our parents came to America and they started the Hmong church Mm -hmm. and if we're not going to be change agents in the churches that we grow up in, um, it's really easy to just be passive and do church the way that they strategized 40 years ago and mm-hmm. never really think about the people we're with, the city we're in, the changes we can make, you know. And mm-hmm. I think there is something that happens where um, when you plant a church, you start thinking about the people in the city that you want to reach and you take ownership of that. You know, mm-hmm. it's not living off our parents' faith because of their refugee story anymore, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. where I'm at here and now and what can I do in this generation to kind of um, make change, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, 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 Daniel, this isn't just your conversation. I know, man. <laughs> no, Myla's a church planner too. She helped Not me plant our church in Toronto, and then she was a part of a church plant in Detroit, man. Yeah. She's got church planting blood. I think, I think too, um, you know, as we talk about church planting, I think that part of the difficulty in, in the Hmong culture for church plants is that um, I think most Hmong churches haven't experienced a good church plant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think when when we think about Hmong church plants, we think about Hmong church splits, <laughs> yeah. and that's kind of how planting has been done, um, you know, or how we've seen it most often happen. Um, but I've also seen uh, in really good cases of um, individuals rising up in the church, feeling called to continue on in ministry and, and are sent out by, mm-hmm. by the senior pastor. And so they're commissioned to go out and, and plant a church in a specific community. And, um, and so I want our listeners to be aware that, um, as we continue to talk about church planting and what that looks like for us, um, that it doesn't just have to end up in a church split and that, um, your experiences don't have to be, um, discouraging um, mm-hmm. but that there's that that God is offering us hope and that God is offering us um, opportunities and mission uh, as we look at church planting for ourselves mm-hmm. um, and as the ch- Hmong church um, but Daniel you you brought up Toronto a couple of times can you explain um, or share a little bit about what that experience was like for you um, as you were planting in Toronto 
Yeah, man. I mean, Toronto was uh, and is has been. You know, it's only been seven months since we've left. Um, mm. You know, the uh, life defining experience for us. Our best friends are in Toronto still, um, and they were made there. You know, mm. uh, those friendships. So we spent uh, almost five years um, in the city. Uh, landed there with no relationships, and then uh, met uh, a couple. And uh, a family, uh, Mike and Missy Seaman, um, and they're from Raleigh, North Carolina. They moved up three weeks before we did to plant a mm. church. And so we met there and became best friends, decided to plant the church together. Uh, Myla moved up for a couple of months, and she was our first intern. Mm. And so she was there before anybody was on our team, and we were just praying, you know, uh, you know, prayers of faith. God, you know, use us. Uh, we would do, you know, evangelism projects and um, it was really trying to scratch the surface uh, in a very difficult urban multi-ethnic city. You know, I've, for some reason, I just told myself, if I'm going to plant a church, I'm going to plant it in the most difficult uh, <laughs> environment, you know. Mm. And so I'm going to go to a big city, urban, downtown, multi-ethnic. And so, and man, uh, really through a lot of just prayer and a lot of just God moments, uh, saw a small community come together and from that began to see people come to Christ. And, uh, you know, our philosophy when we planted the church was we wanted to be a church for the city. And so our, our, our mission was, um, discovering identity and destiny in Christ, uh, influencing the city and the world. And so we were very integrated in the neighborhood that we, uh, were planting in, um, and they still are. Um, as, as a mm-hmm. matter of fact, I was talking to Mike the other day and they're in the middle of negotiating a lease of a building, not to worship in, but a building so that they can do community, um, Mm. Um, organization out of. And so they'll still worship in the high school that they're renting on the weekends, but that space is devoted to community work. So that was just kind Mm. of our philosophy. We were there for the community. And we're in a very kind of um, urban, uh, uh, poor immigrant uh, neighborhood, St. Jamestown, uh, Regent Park area. And uh, man, God taught me just so much about, you know, the ability to sacrifice your personal preference for the sake of God's mission and for the mm-hmm. sake of those who don't know him. And so, you know, we saw, you know, third, fourth, fifth generation white Canadians who've never been to church come to Christ. We saw Japanese international students who couldn't speak a lick of English come to Christ and become missionaries, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and everything in between. And so, it, you know, if there's anything from that story and that's this, you know, um, I know some things, but I don't know enough uh, to have been able to plant a church like that on my yeah. own. God brought so many other pieces into that, you mm-hmm. know, and he brought so many, so many experiences into that to form me to the point where we can, you know, kind of, kind of have some kind of leadership skill to lead a church like that. But it was nothing that I had, you know, previously. You know, it was Mm -hmm. all developed in the midst of doing mission. And I don't know if that's what people uh, realize about ministries that, you know, you actually, God begins to qualify you in the midst of doing the work. Yeah. He begins, he begins giving you the tools that you need as you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And so we, we, uh, you know, uh, led that work for four and a half years. And now when we stepped away, you know, Mike, Mike and Missy, they were the co-planters with us. They're leading it now. And it's flourishing without us, um, and I'm really excited about that. Um, and, you know, it really has left a taste for us to want to plant again, you know. And mm-hmm. We're just kind of counting down the days to that. But, uh, you know, you asked about that, and I share that story because, I, you know, as as much of an anomaly as that may be right now in the, in the Hmong church or Hmong, Hmong people, I don't think it will be in the future, mm-hmm. you know. I don't think mm-hmm. it will be in the future. 
uh, I would be very sad if 10, 20, 30 years from now that um, that's still an anomaly because I don't think that God has uh, called us specifically to, as second and third generation Hmong people, mm-hmm. to primarily think about our own people as our primary mission field. You know, yeah. it's okay to think about it as your friends, and it's okay to think about them as you know your family, mm-hmm. but to think about them as your only mission field, I think that's problematic for me. Yeah. Uh, Myla, do you have anything to add as uh, you were their first intern at that church and um, any experiences you'd like to share? Um, I mean, I think it was just neat being able to be in an environment where you don't have family backing you up. I think that's one thing I love about the Hmong community is Hmong people, they'll back you up. Like anytime <laughs> you need them, they're there. They'll yeah. show up. Like they'll bring the whole village. And I think like <laughs> when you – when you're church planting to a people group who are not Hmong, you have nothing to rely on but God, you know, because yeah. nobody is backing you up. Your mom, your grandma, your cousins, they're not going to show up on Sunday. It's literally the only be- the only thing you have to rely on is God, you know, and I think that was cool for me to see like, oh, my gosh, when you don't have relatives who can guarantee your attendance what is God going to do? And to mm-hmm. see what God did, I was like, wow. Like, I was only there when, like, there was, like, five of us. You know, when I left, that's when it, like, blew up. And I'm mm-hmm. like, whoa, that's crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that was really neat for me to see. I remember our first preview service. I think you were there, Milo, weren't you? I think, yeah, yeah, the and, first um, one. Uh, my parents drove up four hours from Detroit to mm-hmm. be there. And my mom, she was not in good shape at that point. So, yeah. Oh. Um, and they drove up, and I remember preaching and seeing my dad and the mom in the background, like mm-hmm, all in the back mm-hmm. of the room. And um, uh, I think Miley took—I think Miley, you took some pictures or something like that. And uh, afterwards, we were sorting through some of the pictures, and my dad was like, "Oh, we didn't get a clearer one of you." And you know, I could yeah. tell—I could just tell in his voice that he was excited and mm-hmm. he was proud and all that stuff, you know. And I almost wanted to ask him, like, you know, what did you know, what was it about it? I mean, like, did you like it? You know, but it's kind of it's kind of awkward to to ask my dad those <laughs> yeah, questions. Yeah. Um, but I can almost tell that there is a sense of of pride in him. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, my, now my dad's never ever in his life ever said to me, you know, hey, you go plant a multi ethnic church. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing he's ever told me is, hey, make some money. That's the only thing my dad's <laughs> ever told me. But this is what I tell other people, um, and maybe that's a metaphor. Is that, you know, the first gen, they're very unlikely to give you instructions. Hey, you guys need to go out and do this. Okay. Mm-hmm. But as we listen to God, as we mature in our own spiritual walk, and as we begin to do theology for ourselves, and we begin to grow in our own leadership and take ownership over God's mission, um, and we begin to venture out, um, and it may seem like we're doing things outside of the norm for our parents, but when we do it and they see us, like, you know, quote-unquote succeed in it or God blessing it, yeah. it's their pride. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's their, they get to uh, celebrate in that because they were a part of sending you out to reach other people. Yeah. You know, and I sense that from my dad, and I, I can't help but think that, you know, yeah, you know, that's not a conversation that you hear the first gen hearing, uh, having a lot, but if we venture out and do that, they're going to they're gonna, uh, inevitably be very uh, excited that some went among, uh, some from among them went out and God used them in that way. And I think that's really important because for those of us I know uh, who feel a little bit like we had this conversation last uh, episode uh, that I'm insecure about leading other people. Mm-hmm. You know, for those of us, if that's the only thing that's keeping you, 
Um, that's the very thing that God wants to disciple out of you mm-hmm. in, in an environment like this. So, and that was very much mm-hmm. our story. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can really honestly say that, um, you know, we look back on those four and a half years and, you know, I hope that wasn't the climax of our spiritual life. Yeah. <laughs> I yep. hope there's more to come. Mm-hmm. But if that was, we, we, you know, we, we did pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that's just great testimony, you know. Um, and I, I think it does speak volumes to where the Hmong church is headed, where I think, um, honestly, if, if we as, as Hmong pastors, um, especially young guys out there um, who are looking at ministry and what ministry is going to look like in the future for yourself, um, to really begin to expand your horizons mm-hmm. and, and understand that, um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe it's not just the Hmong church. That you're working anymore, and uh, Daniel, I think you're you're a great testimony um, to that. But with that in mind, um, what what are some specifics that that Hmong planters need to do to prepare themselves for uh, possibly planting multi ethnic churches? Mm. Yeah, I think there's a a couple of things that we're in transition um, with that I think are necessary. So if someone somebody were to come to me today and said, "Hey, I want to plant a multi ethnic church, and I've spent the last twenty years in a Hmong church," uh, because we're still in that transition season where we still have very Hmong ish second gen leaders, I think it's important to um, Find a church where you can gain some experience in leading non-Hmong people and uh, increasing your leadership capabilities and feeling a little bit more comfortable in that environment. Um, and I think that, you know, it's not impossible to jump from a completely Hmong church and then to planting a multi-ethnic church. But I do think that um, having a little bit of an introduction into a non-Hmong church environment is very important. And it's just practical. It's just practical. But going back to the two, two, two different uh, models that I was talking about earlier before, I think there's another way where it might be a little bit softer uh, than that. And that's kind of the way that, you know, a city on a hill got started. And maybe there's a few other uh, second gen Hmong churches. Um, you know, our friends Bruce and Dorchie are planting out in Sacramento. Um, and they're just uh, putting together their team right now. Mm. Um, and, um, and you know, George, you're getting ready to, you know, uh, discern the call to plant. Um, and so I think there's a there's another way where I think it's completely valid that it's a, it's a little bit less of a, a, a hard left turn, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's it. If you plant with a group of friends, mm. you know, you, you feel like you're a missional community and you plant with a group of friends and you might be all Hmong at first. But you're you're all mulling, but you're deciding that hey, we want to exist for the good of our city, or the good mm-hmm. of our neighborhood, or the good of our community, you know. Yeah. And then you begin living that out within that that group, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you know, let, let's say you know you go back to Minnesota, and you know for whatever reason you can only scrape up you know twelve Hmong people or something like that, mm-hmm. which is gonna be awesome if you do that. Um, and I would say, you know, learn how to do life in that community uh, and together engage your neighborhood. And, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. some people do this naturally, uh, you know, volunteer in your school, you know, volunteer. So this is not not start with, you know, how do we do a Sunday worship service? But yeah. this is how do 12 people live on mission in their neighborhood? Mm-hmm. You know, so how do you love your neighbors, love the teachers in your school, um, you know, connect with your city council person, um, and then just be willing to do the things that other people won't do. 
And as a missional community, a group of people that are on mission, you're going to begin to gain uh, attraction and respect of your community. Mm -hmm. And that goes a long way when you do evangelism. Because people know that you're not just there to um, hold a worship service, but you're a group of people that genuinely care for the community. And at that point, you're not talking about trying to navigate outside of like a Hmong church. What you're trying to do is you're actually building a new DNA, but you're just building with Hmong people. And naturally, because it's not building the same old Hmong DNA church, you know, which isn't bad, but that's just first gen. Um, when you do it that way, you're going to eventually see um, that, you know, the people that are coming into your church uh, will probably be some Hmong people, but probably those that are also attached to Hmong people, mm -hmm. you know, and they're going to create a comfortable environment that's engaging non-Hmong people. And so as they come in, they see you engaging non-Hmong people and they're going to feel comfortable in that as well. So yeah. I think that particular model is going to be much more conducive to the majority of Hmong leaders. Um and that's probably um, where a lot of us uh, can be, you know, if God's calling us in that in that direction. So, was that practical enough? Yeah, yeah, I think you hit a lot of uh, a lot of good points, and uh, you know, it's helpful to see that planting doesn't happen in just one specific model. Um, oh, yeah. That that you know, there's not one uh, size fits all kind of situation for church planting, and so it's helpful to you know be aware of. Um, you know, the different opportunities that, that we as, as Hmong Christians have um, and, and different ways that we can be meeting the needs of, of the communities that we're in. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you for that. Um, we've, we've talked a lot about uh, church planting and, and what it would look like to plant um, multi-ethnic churches. Uh, but on the other side of that coin, then, um, we come up to the question of what does that mean for, for the mono-ethnic Hmong church? What mm -hmm. does that mean for, um, you know, uh, these Hmong churches who are still predominantly first and second gen Hmong people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, 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 a very important resource and ally um, to mission. So, um, you know, I say that very specifically, you know, the, the mother church or however way you want to frame that, uh, again, if the church exists for mission, then those churches that we're talking about, um, are a very rich resource, uh, for mission to other people. And if we think about it any other way, then we actually take away the, um, the usefulness of, you know, mono-ethnic churches. If we just think of mono-ethnic churches as a place for ethnic people to go to on Sunday, mm -hmm. then we're, we're reducing that group to just a social club, right? But if we think about, you know, first-gen Hmong churches as a missional fort or a, um, a, a mission agency, you know, mm -hmm. then they still function very importantly because uh, inside of them, they're still incubating, you know, potential missionaries, you know. Um, now, the truth of the reality is this, there's going to come a point, you know, I don't know if it's in this generation or the next generation, where those ethnic churches aren't going to be bound by language, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's when you have to ask the question, okay, they're an ethnic church, but they still preach in Hmong, okay? Um, so it's hard to imagine this now, but 50, let's say 50 years from now, or even 20 years from now, they're a Hmong church, but they still 
preach in Eng- they actually preach in English now. I think that church needs to begin asking itself, okay, are we actually putting up walls where we don't need walls anymore? You know, because mm-hmm. we all love to eat hamburgers and pizza. You know, we don't want to do the killing the pig anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We want to make the wedding simple. You know, mm-hmm. funeral is going to be, you know, a day and a half or whatever. Uh, and we're preaching in English and all our discipleship curriculums in English. And we do small groups. We don't do Sunday school. Right. I mean, you, you understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying, mm-hmm. right? And you have that kind of church, but then you don't reach out to other people, you know. Now, when white people do that, we call that racist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so there's going to have to become a point where the Hmong church will confront itself and say, okay, are we actually, have we used up the usefulness of the ethnic church? um, And have we become just kind of a a, a prejudiced church, you know? Um, Now, I'm not making that indictment, but I think that's a very fair question that each church has to ask. Mm -hmm. For the time being, though, I think the language restriction is a legitimate reason for why we need ethnic churches. But again, because they are a missional post, they're a mission agency right yeah they're supposed to be training up people in that church for the greater mission of god and so mm-hmm. and that does include reaching among people there's no question that's a given uh but we understand this that you know god's calling us to reach all kinds of people and so i think when i look at uh the Hmong church um i look at my par- i see my parents mm-hmm. you know and what my parents want and my parents want me to be able to live you know a, a life that's beneficial to not just more people, to but to everybody. And the last thing, and then uh, I'll finish with that question, is um, I think what you've seen right now in uh, North America, uh, we call Hmong American churches. I don't think they're Hmong American churches, okay? Mm-hmm. They are, mm-hmm. but they're not. <laughs> I think they're a continuation of Lao Hmong churches mm-hmm. um, that have established themselves in America. Yeah. And the, the truth is that's what happened. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. Because the first churches that were started in the U.S. weren't evangelistic churches. These were already Christians who had churches in Laos and then eventually in the Thailand Vietnamese camp or Thailand camps. Mm-hmm. And then their leaders came and established churches here in America. So if you look at the church here in America, the churches that you and I grew up in, they're, they're, they're not, they're technically not Hmong American churches. They're, they're Lao Hmong American churches. As a matter of fact, the church that I grew up in, it used to be uh, uh, Lao Hmong American Church of Madison Heights or something like that. You know, <laughs> and so, um, uh, so we haven't actually seen a first generation indigenous Hmong American church yet. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, well we have. I mean, you know, I may, you might be able to say like churches like Koa. Uh, and then there's a church down in uh, Atlanta, mm-hmm. Alliance Community Church. These might be, and then Miles out in uh, Hickory, he's planting a church mm-hmm, out there. Mm-hmm. These might be your first ever Hmong American churches. Yeah. Because they're not necessarily just um, the extension of that first generation of immigration. And mm-hmm. so I think um, uh, we're, we're now past the point where um, we're talking about planting uh, majority ethnic churches. I think you got to talk about most of these churches that we're going to plant eventually will be multi-ethnic in some shape or form. You know, yeah. it might still be 80, 90 percent Hmong, but it's going to be multi-ethnic in some kind of a combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think uh, through a number of conversations that I've had, um, whether it's with uh, the FCA uh, multiplication guys uh, in leadership or um, other individuals who, who have kind of helped me discern this call to church planting, um, we've kind of come, you know, to, to some similar conclusions that, um, 
both as as the first and second gen continue to uh, feel this tension. Um, there's also a need and an opportunity for uh, the Hmong church and the Hmong culture itself to be um, kind of this this nest uh, or, or a host culture to say um, to to continue to do uh, mission and as as we continue to come full circle as uh, Hmong American Christians as Hmong American theologians and pastors um, I think uh, we're gonna find ourselves in situations where um, we can't just be you know ministering to the Hmong people anymore mm-hmm. um, because there are other people in our community who are going to be coming and knocking on our door yeah. um, asking us to to provide for them what they can't find uh, mm-hmm. in their communities and so yeah. um, I think it's it's definitely something exciting uh, something um, that we we can look forward to uh, as the Hmong church um, and and as we continue to finish out these conversations um, I think it'll be important for us to keep in uh, at least on the back burner of our minds if not on the front you know, front burners of what is ministry going to look like for us as we continue yeah. to go forward and and do mission. I want to share one last thing, uh, George, because while you were saying that, I heard you actually say something that is really important. So I think you said like the, the first-gen church is like a net or something like that, you know, kind of, or a host culture. And I think, you know, one way to think about that is they're, they're the safety net for all of the missionary adventures that our generation wants to have, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a great combination between first and gen Mm -hmm. first gen second gen is if they can provide that safety net for us to have all the missionary adventures we want to have Mm -hmm. that's a great way to think about it and then lastly is this uh, because you know predominantly the the work i do is with um, non-mong leaders and non-mong church uh, planning organizations Uh, white evangelicalism in america right now is in so much trouble you know Mm -hmm. we know this Mm -hmm. it's on the news (laughs) you know and i'm not the one trying to get them in trouble you know Uh, there are other forces the enemy you know satan is um, but they're in so much trouble right now because of whatever, you know, Trump to, you know, Alabama to whatever it is, pick whatever issue, you know, yeah. um, minorities, evangelicals, people who love Jesus that are minorities. Um, I think God's called us to a specific time right now where we need to fill in the gaps mm-hmm. that, you know, white evangelicalism can't fill in anymore. You know, and I don't think we can do that if we keep pulling back into our own communities. And so I think that's a very uh, important responsibility that we have right now is mm-hmm. to prop up the body Christ in North America. And we can only do that if we begin caring for for uh, other people. And so um, that's a pretty big responsibility that we have, but it's also a great adventure and a great privilege that we have as a, a very, you know, you know, we, you know, right? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, a very low people that in Christ that we've been given a great privilege to be able to, to serve, um, uh, you know, other people. And so, you know, almost like on behalf of the evangelical church in America, it's very important now that more people begin to step out mm-hmm. and lead uh, in higher capacities. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great note for us to, to leave off on. And uh, for any of you uh, theologians or uh, pastors out there trying to, to figure out what it is that God has next um, uh, for for your chapters, for your your life, uh, and, and you feel even the slightest hint of, of church planting being an option, uh, I hope that this uh, 
conversation was edifying to you and, and beneficial to you. Uh, I hope that you continue to ask the tough questions and, and really pray and consider uh, what God is doing um, in preparing you for ministry. Uh, and uh, we'd love to hear your feedback um, about other questions that you might have about this. So come and check us out at uh, Yesu Communitas uh, at our website, um, which is in the links here. Um, and uh, we uh, hope to have further conversations with you guys soon. So uh, let's close this out in prayer, and uh, we'll see you guys later. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for just these opportunities to, again, um, have these conversations about uh, what you have in store for uh, the Hmong American Church, uh, for those of us who um, have been called to your ministry and have been called to further your kingdom, Lord God. We thank you for uh, just uh, the nuggets of, of wisdom and knowledge that Daniel has been able to share with us, Lord, and um, the experiences that we've been able to have in um, understanding what it looks like to do ministry outside of uh, the Hmong context. And so I just pray, Lord God, that um, as we continue to seek out what your will is for us, Lord God, that we would follow in obedience, um, Lord, that you would um, cast away any fear and in insecurities um, about who we are as your your servants. And as Daniel said, you are the one who qualifies us while we're in ministry. And so I ask, Lord God, that you would um, clear the paths for those who would step up uh, in this time to uh, take up the mantle of, of planting churches. And um, Lord God, would you continue to uh, strengthen our pastors, our theologians, um, our lay people, uh, Lord, uh, your people, to continue to think critically about these things. And would you continue to just bless us and guide us as we um, continue to have conversations. And so we lift uh, this topic up to you. We lift the church up to you, Lord God. And would your kingdom come. And we pray all this in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Hey, this is Daniel. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. Myla, George, and myself will be back again with another discussion about Hmong American identity, theology, and mission. Uh, but can you do us a favor? Can you share the Yesu Communitas podcast with your friends? And then also remember to like today's show, uh, share it out on Facebook, and then subscribe to Yesu Communitas on iTunes. All right, see you in the next episode.